Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, March 11th, 2017. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. From his own perspective, and in his own worldview, Donald Trump is doing rather well. But personally, I don't have any faith in Donald Trump to accomplish anything good, because no worldly man in such a situation, and surrounded by wolves in sheep's clothing, can accomplish good. Without doubt, Trump is a functioning part, a cognitive machine, if you will, a functioning part of the machine which we can refer to as the beast. What is amazing is that even with his half-measures, and his rather innocuous political solutions, the mainstream media and the political left are driven into a raging insanity, probably because they thought they had, with eight years of Obama, full and indefinite control over what was considered to be the acceptable acceptable political dialogue. And Trump has overturned their confidence in that control. So they are mad about it. So Trump's victory does afford us some opportunities, which we did not have over the last several decades of Clinton, Bush, Obama, and we must take advantage of those things to help promote our own agenda for as long as we have them. An obvious example is this issue of Fake news. Fake news is nothing new. And, to a great extent, most of the news has always been fake, in one way or another, at least for much of the last 200 years. But only now is an American president publicly accusing major and presumably respected news outlets such as CNN of publishing fake news. So the concept, and this is the important part, the concept is finally making its way into the public consciousness. At this, we should rejoice. But identity Christians should never imagine that there is any hope in the media of which at least 95% is under the control of Antichrist Jews. So instead, we must expect lies from the media and convince as many people as we can that the media is lying. Now we have a greater opportunity to do this than we have ever had, as even a sitting American president has openly been accusing the media of publishing fake news. So tonight we will have Pastor Mark Downey here to speak with us, and the theme of our presentation this evening is deprecating the media, or encouraging people to participate in the campaign of deprecatory prayer against the media. Not that all of the major media, major mainstream media facilities are suddenly going to 
blow up like Sodom and Gomorrah and be sent to the bottom of the abyss, but that our people finally do awaken to realize that this electronic rabbi that they have in their living rooms is doing nothing to them but lying. Lying to them again and again in one way or another. Either deliberate lies or lies of omission. Pastor Downey has a scripture reading which we are going to preface this program with. And it's from Psalms chapter 58, verses 3 through 11. Even from birth, the wicked go astray. From the womb, they are wayward, spreading lies. Their venom is like the venom of a snake, like that of a cobra that has stopped its ears, that will not heed the time of the charmer, the tune of the charmer, however skillful the enchanter may be. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along. Like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. Before your pots can feel the heat of the thorns, whether they be green or dry, the wicked will be swept away. The righteous will re- will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. And with this, we will introduce Pastor Mark Downey. Hello, Mark. Hello, Bill. Good to be with you again. Praise Yahweh. Don't you just love that uh, Psalms? Well, well, it's right on the mark. It's it, it's these people are liars, and and the entire mainstream media is and and a crime ring that that issues lies in order to deceive the general public in one way or another. Often they deceive the public deliberately, and more often they deceive the public by omission, by not um, putting crime and news and, and the reasons for war and things like that in a proper context, in a truthful context, because they have an agenda, and the same voices in the media have had the same agenda for several hundred years, actually for 7,000 years, but it's only been the last several hundred years that they have had free reign to spread that agenda throughout Christendom. Right. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking about imprecatory prayer from which we find the principle right there in Psalms 58. Um, And there's other uh, chapters in Psalms in the same spirit. But I'd like to open first with a a regular prayer. Our Father in heaven, we acknowledge the gifts you've bestowed upon your people Israel. Since the time of Adam, you've given your people the wherewithal to withstand the adversaries of our race. We have fallen again and again for not listening to your voice. Your word in Isaiah 59.16, saw that there was no man 
and wondered that there was no intercessor. We go through the ages when there is no one to stand in the gap or raise up a hedge. We have blind guides leading the blind. We are in need of your mercy as stupidity plagues a people well equipped and instructed to put an end to the evil, but knows not what to do. Tonight we come before you and our people with a vision, a plan with a purpose to petition the divine court for intervention against a false witness that speaks lies, that cannot love the truth. We believe that a great curse is in order for those who curse us. We pray that tonight's presentation will activate the royal priesthood to corporately plead our case to prove there are no other gods of the white race. We humbly ask for the only white power on earth to remove the mystery from Babylon so that all may see her naked wickedness. May we see that day whereby the glory of the light of the world destroys the scourge of our well-being and the darkness is as if it never were. Thank you for hearing us this evening, Lord, and bless our message that it may bless all the families of Israel. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, well thank you. Amen. Uh, this this all started um, with uh, a number of, of witnesses that, that generated this this idea for a Christian identity imprecation of fake news, and, and you were one of them, Bill, uh, on a thread you started about the fake news and how we could take advantage of it. Um, last week I sent out, and I, I do have uh, sermon notes uh, from my message last Sunday. I I don't want to uh, read from a script tonight, but to embellish the uh, the ideas that went into it. And um, just a, a short synopsis is from uh, a short uh, newsletter that we sent out to our e-list and, um, from kinsmanredeemer.com and uh, fgcp.org, uh, which stated that from March 23rd to May 1st, 2017, Christian Identity Sponsors will conduct a national campaign of prayer and fasting for 40 days. We have reached a point in time in which either good or evil will prevail, and it can only prevail for white Christian America through divine intervention. Nothing will save us but an appeal to heaven to destroy the amoral and rampant corruption of government supported and exploited by the protocols of a purely satanic mainstream media. This will be the generation that forgets, will this be the generation that forgets the law of thy God and sacrifices our children to sexual predators and a godless future? God forbid! Let us not be mere hearers, 
but doers of these perilous times. It is time for our movement to move collectively for what we all know is the right thing to do. A plan of action will be forthcoming in the days and weeks ahead, so please get ready to do your part. And so tonight we'll be offering more details, and uh, this by no means is uh, my idea exclusively. I throw it out there for the entire Christian identity community in which we can all participate in unity uh, simply because we have one thing in common, and that is uh, we not only love our God, but we hate the enemy that's trying to destroy us. Well, well, that's absolutely true. To me, my my, my um, perspective on prayer is a little different. To to me, even many identity Christians don't have a correct perspective on prayer, and then in turn, they often, like mainstream Christians, apply that perspective the wrong way, whether it be in relation to the media or to the government or to other primarily evil institutions such as a political party or how about a bank. So they are always disappointed. Remember um, a few years ago, Pete Peters was having people go anoint banks with oil. And, and and so you could fix the devil by anointing him with oil. That the banks and engage in usury, they engage in deception by creating money from nothing and loaning it to people at usury. That's evil. You you can't anoint a bank, right? So so that's one of my examples of misguided, misapplied prayer. There is nothing wrong. That was very silly and unbiblical. Well, well, yeah, right. It was silly and unbiblical. You can't fix an evil institution, an, an institution that's founded basically on sin. It, if the banks were not usury banks, and, and they really did represent the, the currency of the people, and, and made it available for people to start businesses and, and, and engage in ventures and things like that, that would be a different story. But but the banks are evil banks based on usury and, and based on things that, that are truly wicked, such as fractional reserve banking and things like that. So what we know that there is no way that they could ever be good or, or godly, so why pray for them? And And that's one example of misguided Christian prayer. There's nothing wrong with prayer in the traditional sense as in turning one's thoughts to God and making relevant requests or appeals for his intervention. That's fine. But to me, I I have long asserted that prayer is primarily thought. What you think is actually what you are praying. And thought must lead to action even if that action is merely expressing one's thoughts in public. This is why Paul of Tarsus illustrated the importance of bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You can't revenge all disobedience until your obedience, and he's speaking collectively to an entire assembly of Christians, when your obedience is fulfilled. 
as he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Every one of our thoughts being, in essence, our prayer, when we subject our thoughts to the will of our God, great things will happen that will have efficacy in the world. In that manner, our thoughts lead to action, and those actions are compatible with the expectations of what we have from God. We can't ask God for one thing and then go do another thing. We can't ask God for anything and then go act in a manner that is contrary to God. If we pray one thing to God and spend the rest of the day thinking in a different manner, then we are in conflict with ourselves. We are in conflict with our God and we can never get anywhere. The prophets of God did not lock themselves away in a room and pray and write out their inspired messages simply for inclusion in some book so that maybe it could be read 300 years from then. Rather, the prophets took their messages and proclaimed them publicly as they traveled the countryside, for which reason they were publicly despised by men, but they were loved and venerated by God. The things we have from the prophets are compilations. All these books of the prophets, all of them, are compilations of their public proclamations of thus saith the Lord. Therefore, we must also utter our prayers publicly at every opportunity. And this is why we are warned in the days of evil that the prudent should be silent because the cost of uttering truly godly thoughts to the public in a world which hates our God is very high. The only legitimate form of prayer regarding the media or the government is imprecatory prayer. And that is because these institutions and the banks and our institutions of higher education and so on and so on and so forth And that is because these institutions have never been godly, at least not in accordance with the God of the Bible, not in these modern times. How can we pray to our God that the Antichrists and other assorted beasts occupying the highest positions in our government somehow do good? Rather, we must pray that God judges them. Even Jeremiah announced to the people of Jerusalem that God was going to destroy their temple and their city. But how can we pray that God judges institutions to which we look for good? How can you pray that God judges the banking system when you're looking to that banking system for help, for support, for for succor? You can't do that. Then you're asking God for the exact opposite from what you are doing. How is your prayer going to have any efficacy? It's not. We can only command those institutions to repent and the people that run them to repent and that God judges them. That is why Christians must come out of the world because we should never expect good from people and institutions which are under the influence of devils, or who actually are devils.
So Christ said of the apostles whom he was sending into the world with his message, as it is recorded in John chapter 17, he said of them that I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Meaning that he's praying to God the Father and saying that those apostles belong to him. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think it says uh, those who are friends with the world are at enmity with God. In fact, they are an enemy of God. And, and this is why, and these are the conclusions that we must come to as a people. And Christian identity, identity Christians have to lead our people down this path. Eventually, we're going to have to do it. This is our challenge. You know, I think our understanding of God is is just as important as our understanding of prayer. Um, and a lot of people, they think that um, God is some kind of sugar daddy where you can just wave a magic wand and, and he will uh, do your bidding. But... Um, you know, for many years, uh, you've given Christian identity, Bill, a great understanding um, about ritual and things that are ritualistic will avail us of absolutely nothing. Right. And um, the avoidance of uh, true Christian prayer um with, with vicarious substitutes is really, I think, insulting to God because it's something of the world, thinking man is in control uh, rather than God. Well, well, right. We want to pray that we, what we can do his will. What we want to pray to God that we can accomplish what his will is in the world. According to our dictates. Well, well, that's the way a lot of people do pray, and that's wrong. We, we want to pray that God uses us to do His will, and and that's the correct prayer, and in in my opinion, that we are attempting to comply ourselves with the will of God, and that we show that we're willing to do His will, and that He shows us what His will is, so that that is what we can accomplish. We want God to perform his will in the world, not our personal will. So so we want to be vessels which can help to execute the will of God, because God operates through man. For instance, when Paul of Tarsus was in Corinth, Paul was worried, and, and God said to Paul, Don't worry, I, I have people in this city. In, in other words, he had people in the city that would help that, that would help accomplish what he needed Paul to do. He had other people in Corinth that that would assist with that if Paul got into trouble. Yahweh assured Paul that that he had people in Corinth, so Paul was set at ease and he went and preached the gospel for a year and a half. And when the, the the Jews had taken Paul and dragged him before the 
the judgment seat of Gallio. Gallio, who's basically a Roman pagan, but he is by descent an Israelite, Gallio basically told the Jews to get lost and, and that he wasn't going to condemn Paul. So Gallio was certainly one of the people that God had in the city that Yahweh was going to use in, in order to make sure that Paul could preach the gospel. And as long as Gallio was the procurator of Achaia, well, Paul was going to be okay. Well, um, when God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, he didn't say that our thoughts can't be like his thoughts. The problem with wrongful praying uh, is that it completely ignores uh, that Second Corinthians chapter 10 uh, quote that you gave before because it's, it's being energized by self-will. But I have some additional thoughts on prayer that it, it's not just for emergencies or uh, when there's some kind of lurking danger that threatens your life or sickness or, or medical problems. Well, well, that's usually the only times when most people pray. I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, prayer, it's not a, a solo flight, if I may use an aviation analogy. God really is our co-pilot and navigator and flight tower control and maintenance, everything to help us find our destiny. And life without prayer is turbulence. And I was I would think foreboding loneliness to be without God. You know, our prayers are the fuel to finish the race by our constant interaction with the creator of prayer to begin with. He he is our judge who hears our pleas and decides what's best for us. But without instructions, we are rudderless and lost. I think a prayer is its kind of like requesting the visuals um, that are otherwise unseen. It's our vision of the kingdom of heaven. And we read that when there's no vision, our people perish. So, the frequency of prayer assures the presence of God. We may not see him, but we know he is near. Uh, we know that the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So the Christian worth his salt will yearn for the highest level of prayer than mere petition. And two thoughts are necessary for that. And they are the realization of God's glory and his grace. How much of our thoughts are dedicated to those two things on a daily basis? Our well, campaign is prayer and fasting. The fasting part is entirely optional. Uh, so it's uh, a good idea for us to be uh, giving sound advice this evening, uh, and not only prayer, but for those wanting to uh, indulge in fasting, and, and that is simply a rest from food. 
It, it promotes self-healing by purging toxins. And it's an opportunity for rejuvenation provided our essential organs have not been irrevo- irreversibly damaged by disease or uh, big pharma. Well, well, right. There's benefits to fasting, physical benefits, but I, I really believe it's a willingness to show God that you're willing to do without something in order to be used as a vessel to accomplish his will. Absolutely. The, um, the principle, I think, is to cleanse the body, eliminating non-digestible or foreign matter that we have consumed over the years. Our whole lives are uh, filled with chemicals in this modern age, um, not only from food, but air and water. Um, but for those wanting to try this fasting, uh, they may experience headaches or other adverse symptoms from the initial few days of fasting uh, because they will be detoxifying. But this will pass as they flush their body with clean, filtered water. Now, some fasters use a light squeeze of a lemon in their glass of water to help in the cleansing process of breaking down all the junk in their body that's accumulated over time in the intestines and elsewhere. And as your body chemistry begins to balance, you will also experience mental clarity. And for the Christian, this is the renewing of our relationship and communion with God. Fasting really is not starvation unless you are mentally preoccupied with how hungry you are. The point of a fast is to mentally focus on cleaning a dirty body. Our body, as we all know, is the temple of God, and he dwells among his people. So we must go into it with a positive attitude, not a grieving depression of withholding nourishment. Abstinence from nourishment is the whole point. Our, our motive for this prayer and fasting campaign is to enter the divine court with all the faith and purpose we can muster in order to deliver us from evil as the Israel nation of God. The fast is not only our physical healing, but that of our Beulah land, America. It would be ill-advised to start a fast when you're going through physical, emotional, or mental stress because you're spending energy on that rather than not digesting food. You need energy for detoxifying and healing. So April will be a good month for normal body temperatures, not requiring energy to heat or cool the body. It's also recommended that you diet three days before fasting, limiting your food to Veggies, fruits, and juices, no meat, dairy, or grains, meaning bread, and don't mix your fruits and vegetables. Maybe skip a meal uh, so you're not stuffed, uh, and do the same procedure coming off the fast, slowly reintroducing food like liquids, soups, juices, and graduate to chewable food. Your stomach will thank you. 
there's all kinds of fasting information on the Internet if you need more advice. But one last thing I'd like to uh, import is get plenty of rest, don't be afraid, and have fun. Count it all joy. So I hope that helps the people wanting to uh, participate in the fasting end of our campaign. So, so you are asking for people to engage in a 40-day campaign, um, and I'm trying to just summarize this up so people understand this, right? In, in mm-hmm. a 40-day campaign of prayer and um, possibly also fasting, and well, the I prayer would, should I be would... imprecatory prayer against the media. Not, not. I, I don't think your, your your intention is that the media get hurt or blown up or disappear, but that people come to realize that the media is lying to them. What we're praying that our countrymen wake up and find that the that the president is right. The news is fake news, and and. Well, I think that that also has to be in concert with us spreading this message that the news is fake news, that that Fox, CNN, um, CBS, NBC, no matter what the news outlet is, if it's a mainstream news outlet, that they're lying to people in order to manipulate them into one agenda or another. Right. Well, they're already doing our work for us. We just need to put a spotlight on it and amplify uh, what's really going on here, that if people can realize uh, they've been lied to and generously, um, then they will more easily spot other lies. Right. So 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 that we're thinking in terms of something going viral that will... Uh, and, and we're asking, we're pleading this in, in the divine court of God's justice. And I don't, I don't know God's thoughts and how he's, he's going to, you know, he says, woe unto the scribes, which is not good. And um, uh, he, he may do what we can't even fathom to, to wipe them out. Uh, it may be a, a spiritual nuke, whatever that is. Uh, but it, it's something that uh, we are pleading uh, according to the law. Like I mentioned earlier, the Abrahamic covenant is he said he would bless those who bless us and curse those who curse us. Well, isn't fake news cursing us? It is. Well, and well absolutely. therefore... Uh, the the curse that they're foisting upon us really should boomerang and go back on them. If we're to believe our God will curse those who curse us. It's axiomatic, in other words. Well, well absolutely. But but I would just... My, my point with, with, with bringing up the... Um, my opinions about the ancient prophets is that prayer is wonderful and fasting is wonderful. And I'm sure that the prophets did a lot of fasting and a lot of prayer. In fact, Daniel, when if we read the book of Daniel, it becomes evident that his visions were received as he was praying and fasting. He received his visions and recorded them. The um, 
the 70 weeks vision in Daniel chapter 9, I believe, is an example. That the third prong is action. That we actually, what we pray, and, and then we take action, which is corresponding to our prayer by spreading the message because we're praying that Yahweh open the eyes that God opens the eyes of our of our fellows of our fellow um, Saxon Americans or Israelites if you will and we have to have action in concert with that prayer that that's my point right and, and this is a a campaign of spiritual warfare um, Absolutely. Just to clarify, uh, the the fasting is completely optional, and and I don't want anybody to suffer unnecessarily um, going into that. It, it's and I certainly you know, forty days of fasting is asking an awful lot. There may be a few out there that could do that, but uh, I certainly wouldn't uh, recommend that to any novices. But it is a 40-day campaign, and uh, that sounded like a good number because I've heard that number repeated quite often in Scripture. And the there's a lot of things going on right now. And so... The reason I chose March 23rd to May 1st is because May 1st, uh, there's there's some rumors going on um, on the Internet that um, that is uh, the notorious um, uh, May Day for the uh, Communist um, Party. the uh, the commie reds, Jewish communism, that's their day of celebration. And and the rumor is that they're going all out with their uh, street anarchists and, and uh, troublemakers to create all kinds of havoc in Washington, D.C. Now, whether that fizzles out as was purported to be uh, – on Inauguration Day uh, last January, uh, we'll just have to wait and see. But I think it's a good opportunity for Christian identity to collectively get our heads together and pray about this thing. Uh, Because the timing is so perfect, really. Uh, 40 days... uh, I think it's significant because it usually symbolizes a, a period of testing or a trial or some kind of probation. During Moses' life, he lived 40 years in each and 40 years in the desert before God chose him to lead his people out of slavery. And Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days and nights. He also sent spies for 40 days to investigate the land God promised to the Israelites as an inheritance. The prophet Jonah powerfully warned ancient Nineveh for 40 days that its destruction would come because of its many sins. Then the prophet Ezekiel laid on his right side for 40 days to symbolize Judah's sins. 
And Elijah went 40 days without food or water at Mount Horeb. Jesus was tempted during the 40 days and nights he fasted just before his ministry began. And he also appeared to his disciples and others for 40 days after his resurrection from the dead. So number 40 can also represent a generation of man. But because of their sins after leaving Egypt, God swore that the generations of Israelites who left Egyptian bondage would not enter their inheritance in Canaan. The children of Israel were punished by wandering in the wilderness for 40 years before a new generation was allowed to possess the promised land. And Jesus, just days before his crucifixion, prophesied the total destruction of Jerusalem. Forty years after his crucifixion, in 30 AD, the mighty Roman Empire destroyed the city and burned its beloved temple to the ground. So the last 2,000 years or so has been dubbed the Church Age. And it kind of correlates to King Saul in that his 40 years reign corresponds to 40 jubilees, uh, which is almost 2,000 years from the time of the crucifixion that brings us to the present day. Now, David couldn't respond to his calling until Saul died. So when you compare the two leaders, Saul represented the fleshly king, whereas David was spiritual or an overcomer of the flesh, even though he experienced the lust of the flesh, he strived sincerely to please God. So what does this mean in practical terms? It has to do with ruling. It has to do with being chosen to rule. And this brings an inevitable conflict between those actually chosen and those who think they are chosen. And a Jew is not chosen because he does not have the character and the love of God in his heart by which he may rule God's creation wisely and judiciously, or if he attempts to rule the world by violence and force. For example, the Zionists are not chosen simply because they think they're divinely privileged to perpetuate violence upon any non-Jew goyim and steal their land by force. So I chose 40 days of prayer and fasting to appeal our Christian identity case before God to curse those who curse us and to begin making the transition into a new age, replacing the church with overcomers who do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers of darkness of this world, the spiritual wickedness in high places. Well, well, perhaps calling the overcomers out of the church. (laughs) Well, and a lot of them do, are coming out because... They're just as fed up with the fake church as they are with the fake news. And And, and the the fake news and the fake church do a good job supporting one another. That's incredible. Well, they are symbiotic. Uh, One will scratch the other's back. Uh, And, you know, it's been that way for centuries where there's... Really, is it a church state or a state church? (laughs) Right. 
But if anybody has gotten a taste of God's love, this is the down payment of the Holy Spirit our people got at Pentecost, hungering for the fulfillment of being delivered from the bondage of corruption and given a mentality of separating from evil. I I am in awe of the awesome power of God's love for his people. And words alone cannot express the gravity of my consciousness in communion with what God has done. What he is doing and what he will do. You know, it's interesting to note that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit progressed from Solomon's temple to our physical bodies as the temple of God, both during the Feast of Pentecost and symbolizing the Pentecostal age or the church age in which the down payment of God's spirit anticipates the fullness of his spirit in the next age, which many believe will be the kingdom age, uh, typified symbolically with the Feast of Tabernacles whereby the overcomers become qualified to rule and judge all the people of the earth, meaning white people, (laughs) for they will be priests of God and will reign with him for a thousand years. And that is not to detract from your interpretation in um, Christreich. Bill, I agree with that. Uh, The point being made by the Word of God is that we all mature in Christ in context to the divine schedule. We all have the potential to witness to others the true and only object of worship when we do so. We prepare ourselves for the next installment of God's restoration of paradise. Well, praise is perfected in the mouth of babes. So till we all come in the unity of faith unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up unto Christ in all things. Ephesians 4.13 Well, this uh, this fake news really got traction with this uh, Pizzagate thing, and and Trump really has done nothing to bring this to his constituency's attention. Uh, one of his conspiracy theorists was um, General Flynn. Uh, His son got fired from the campaign because of Pizzagate, and now Flynn himself, over something that makes no sense, talking about, or to, the Russians. Supposedly, there are pedophile rings being rounded up, um, over a thousand, I hear. Uh, Obviously, mostly those who are small fish. And yet, no news, or even fake news, about all these arrests. There's one little tidbit. Um, Hillary's been pretty quiet since her defeat. But she tweeted, 
shortly after Flynn was resigned, uh, revealing that she's still doing things behind the scenes. It was right after Flynn's resignation that Philippe Reigns, who was a, a senior political advisor to Hillary Clinton, tweeted this to General Flynn and his son Mike the night after it was announced that his father resigned from the national security position. Quote, Dear Mike Flynn and Mike Flynn Jr., what goes around comets around. That's in reference to the comet ping pong place that uh, was the habitat for pedophiles and thus the term Pizzagate. Continuing in this tweet, and given your pizza obsession, well, in response to Philippe's tweet, Hillary felt it necessary to, to pile on salt on the wound, lecturing the Flynn's about the hazards of perpetuating fake news and tweeted, quote, Philippe's got his own way of saying things, but he has a point about real consequences of fake news, end quote. And, and why is Hillary evidently emotionally attached to Pizzagate? That, and that indicates that there might be something there. They're in a panic mode. Right. And, and, and Pizzagate really enrages these people. It really does. Uh, I must think about it. Uh, I must say that some of the claims from whistleblowers concerning Pizzagate seem to be outrageous. And, and I would not doubt if some of them were planted by people who wanted to seem outrageous so that the story is ignored. Our own enemies do that to Christian identity all the time. It's a common tactic of our enemies by which they can hide behind a smokescreen of lies. Oh, but, yeah. You but, and I both know that. Right. But but there's certainly something to the Pizzagate story, and the media and the leftists in Washington are absolutely shrill with denials and counter-accusations every time the topic is broached. And that's the same way that we see a lot of our enemies in Christian Identity Act when we when we unmask them or pull the the the, the curtain aside to show what's really behind there. Well, it's a, a type of arrogance. Uh, after all, the Clintons have a trail of blood. Um, some researchers who have compiled a, a list of over 100 people that um, sure looks like um, uh, they could have done harm to the Clintons, so they eliminated them. Right, but I first read about that in, in a book called Defrauding America, which covered by Rodney Stitch. I don't even know if he's an American or a Jew. I don't know. It, it was one of the um, early conspiratorial theory books that I read, and, and it was back in 1996. And, and he was saying then about the body trail of the Clintons and, and the activity, the drug-running activities at Mena, Arkansas, and, and the Clintons 
Because the media produces all this fake news and doesn't tell us any real news, that they've basically been covering for the Clintons right from the beginning. Right from the beginning, when Bill Clinton first ran for president, that there were um, questions about his integrity, his sexual escapades, that were just ignored by the media so that they could get him elected. Well, when she said there will be real consequences of fake news... That sounded like a veiled threat to me. But and she's the first one that should suffer. <laughs> yeah. Well, why else would she make a comment about uh, reference to Pizzagate? Right. You know, many... Uh, Trump if there's nothing to it. A lot of Trump supporters are beginning to see that their hero threw Flynn under the bus. And like Joe McCarthy's house on investigation on un-American activities, it came to a screeching halt as soon as he got to the State Department, uh, full of Jewish communists, by the way. So Trump is now off theater, just saving face, and things are back to normal, running Marxist dialectics on the sheeple. Um, And I hear a third of Congress is involved in pedophilia. So the question arises in my mind, is Trump going to let them skate? And uh, I wrote about Trump's despicable duplicity in last Sunday's sermon. And uh, uh, people should read that part about his Jewish son-in-law has a business relationship with George Soros, who gave him a $259 million line of credit. Isn't that how Trump got rich, a line of credit? from Jewish bankers? When he was bankrupt, yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I didn't know if there was really anything to the Pizzagate. I, I had some people very close to me and and that, that were informing me that I should look into Pizzagate, that there was definitely something to it. And, and it's, of course, news is not my forte, it's not what I regularly do. I'm into history, which is very old news. Um, back in late January, though, when Ben Swan, a CBS News-affiliated broadcaster named Ben Swan, a man who has won awards for his reporting, television reporting, he did a rather fair and balanced assessment of the Pizzagate story. And you would think someone in the mainstream media would at least mention a story such as this because it had so much attention on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, but the mainstream media wouldn't touch Peachagate. And Ben Swan did this balanced six-minute report on it. I thought it was very fair. And he was hounded. He was nearly hounded out of his job for it. He was off the air for nearly a week. He was forced to shut down all of his social media accounts, which had tens of thousands of followers, in an agreement to retain his position as an anchorman news reporter at at the CBS affiliate in Atlanta, which is, uh, I mean, it's not the greatest multi-billion dollar news job in the world, but, but... it's an important job, and a guy like Ben Swan wouldn't want to lose it, because if he lost it for that reason, he probably wouldn't get a job anywhere. He wouldn't get another job anywhere. So, 
even when a legitimate inquiry, because I, I would like to play his report here if you don't mind, it's only six minutes, even when a legitimate inquiry should be made into suspected pedophilia activity on the side of the establishment, Pizzagate is very close to home, right? It's right in Washington, D.C. It, it's a restaurant that's frequented by all these government workers and these elected politicians. Even when a legitimate inquiry is made, or should be made, somebody at the top quickly squashes any opportunity for dialogue. Never mind a real investigation. Yeah, I had Ben Swan of CBS uh, next on my list here, so let's... Yeah, let's it. listen to Ben Swan talk about Pizzagate. This is the... the, the um, to, to me, this is the best real news in several years. Not because, uh, I mean the best thing that was produced by a news outlet, a mainstream media news outlet in several years. Not because their Pizzagate is, is real or not, but because he actually pointed out that there is reason that these people pushing Pizzagate on the internet, there's good reason why they suspect that there's some substance to this story that needs to be investigated. And and Ben Swan points that out. And and I'm going to play this tape. It's five and a half minutes. It became okay. a major story weeks ago when an armed man decided to investigate a D.C. area pizza place for himself. This man right here, he carried a rifle into a pizza parlor and then fired it at the floor. Media is telling you the entire story is a hoax or fake news. But what does that even mean? I spent the last month investigating. So what exactly is Pizzagate? And are there any actual facts to support the story? I've got to warn you. What we're going to talk about tonight will be disturbing to some people. But this is a reality check you won't see anywhere else. Pizzagate actually comes from the WikiLeaks release of hacked emails from Clinton campaign chairman John Podesta. In all, WikiLeaks dumped around 50,000 email messages, and it was from those emails that the claims that John Podesta may be part of a child sex trafficking ring come from. Now, to be clear, not one single email in the Podesta emails discusses child sex trafficking or pedophilia. That is a fact. But there are dozens of what seem to be strangely worded emails dealing with pizza and handkerchiefs. Self-described online investigators say that those words in the emails about pizza and the talk of handkerchiefs is code language used by pedophiles. So how did a D.C. pizza parlor get pulled into the story? Well, again, read any mainstream report, and they indicate that Comet Ping Pong Pizza was somehow linked to this fake story and has no relation to anyone involved. But the truth is, that's not true either. What media is ignoring is that the Comet Ping Pong Pizza Place is actually referenced in the Podesta emails at least a dozen or so times, and that the owner of that place, James Alphantis, is a friend of John Podesta. He was actually named, this is kind of strange, by GQ magazine as one of the top 50 most powerful people in Washington. Yes, we're talking about a pizza parlor owner. Now let's talk facts here. There is no solid evidence that Comet Ping Pong Pizza is being used to run a child sex trafficking ring. But there are some very strange connections between Comet Ping Pong Pizza and a second pizza place two doors over, Besta Pizza, and the accusations of pedophilia. Now, this is where things start to get strange when you research this story. Now, to begin, I need to show you a 2007 
unclassified FBI document. That document, according to the FBI, contains commonly used symbols by pedophiles to express their preference in children. I want you to see these images here. These are the images. Notice this one on the end, the triangle. That image signifies something called boy love. The pizza place next door to Comet Ping Pong Pizza, Besta Pizza, well, this was their logo until only a few weeks ago. Clearly, you can see that the Besta logo actually contains the same image, I'm going to show you again, as that boy lover image. Interestingly, after Pizzagate investigators pointed this out, Besta Pizza changed their logo, and there it is now. They've removed the triangle. Also, Comet Ping Pong, owned by Alphantis, is the place where a number of performance artists perform regularly. Two of the groups that perform there, who you can see advertised, by the way, on this Comet Ping Pong poster, include a group called Heavy Breathing and another group called Sex Stains. Well, if you check out the YouTube videos by these bands, Heavy Breathing has songs that do joke about pedophilia. And the band Sex Stains has a video that includes, and you see it right there, that same boy lover symbol. It's nearly identical to the one that the FBI does say is a pedophile code symbol for boy love. As I said, there are some strange things there. As for the owner of the pizza place, James Alphantis, well, he was one time in a relationship with David Brock, who ran Media Matters for America. Well, since Pizzagate began to blow up online, he has made his Instagram profile, Jimmy Comet, private. But an archive search of Instagram reveals a number of strange photographs and words with strange and disturbing images associated with them. Look, to the point where we can't show you those pictures. We're not even going to describe them to you because some viewers would find it too disturbing to share on TV. Now let's talk about the Podesta brothers, because remember it was John Podesta's email that was hacked. In those leaked Podesta emails, John Podesta talks about his close relationship with Dennis Hasteret, the former Speaker of the House, who was recently sentenced to 15 months in prison for abusing boys years ago. He was referred to by the judge as a serial child molester. According to the Washington Post, visitors to Tony Podesta's home in Falls Church got an eyeful when they walked into a bedroom at the Podesta residence hung with multiple color pictures by Katie Grannon, a photographer known for documentary-style pictures of naked teenagers in their parents' suburban homes. And to be clear, that just begins to scratch the surface of how strange some of this stuff is. And bear in mind, we can't get into a lot of the real details of it because of the limits on broadcasting this on television. But it is some very strange stuff. Now keep in mind, again, there is no proof here that there is a child sex ring being operated out of a D.C. pizza parlor. Investigators have already proven there's nothing to the story, right? Well, actually, no. And that's what you need to know. For all that is here, there has not been one single public investigation of any of this. Not from local police, not from the FBI, no one. And that has to be the big question. Not for Podesta or for pizza parlor owners, but for law enforcement. Based on what may be or may not be here, the big question is, why hasn't any investigation taken place? That's reality check. Let's talk about it on Twitter. Well, well, the bottom line, the way I summarize that, and, and I thought that Ben Swan was being very fair about it, evaluating a story that had tons of attention and, and hundreds of thousands of inquiries in the, the social media on the Internet, Alephantis is a sodomite pervert. 
He's running, he owns a pizza parlor that is also a playground for children, sort of like a Chuck E. Cheese's that we have in the Northeast. And, and he is using symbolism in his advertising that, which is known to be used by predatory pedophiles. He also has a social media page with, with, um, lewd images all over it. And he's a friend of Podesta, and Podesta is associated with other known pedophiles, and Podesta had sent many emails out mentioning Alephantis, mentioning the pizza parlor, and using code words that seem to be referencing that same sort of lewd behavior. And when this Pizzagate comes up in the mainstream media, this Ben Swan, who actually had the courage to bring it up, he was hounded and, and, and disgraced publicly by being taken immediately off the air, by being forced to shut down his social media websites, his YouTube page, his Facebook page, his Twitter feed. He shut it all down so that he could keep his job. And there's nothing to Pizzagate? If there was nothing to Pizzagate, they would have ignored this. Yeah, you know, um, when when a story like this goes down the uh, Orwellian memory hole, you know there's something to it. <laughs> right. Um, it, by the same token, he's right. It's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, he would need like a three, four-hour program uh, for what's out there. Uh, in the public domain, and uh, there's a lot of uh, really fine internet researchers that have dug up a lot of this stuff, which seems to be much more than coincidence. Um, it, but really, their worst enemy is themselves in, in, in trying to uh, do damage control. Um, Megan Kelly on Fox News invited. James Alephantis onto her program uh, shortly after uh, a person walked into his Comet Ping Pong Pizza place with an AR-15 and fired off one round uh, as if uh, by him saying he he did it to protect the children, end quote. Uh, well, it turns out this alleged shooter is a registered actor. He he's probably got a nice job on Broadway now for his little act. But I'll tell you when he went on Megan Kelly's show, she pitched him the softest of softballs you could imagine, so that all of this fake news was just destroying his reputation. Well, Guess what? Uh, there's so much damning evidence that he is uh, linked to satanic entertainment in his comet ping pong. The artwork on the walls are just macabre and, and sick. So, really, to to knowing what's the truth is out there, and for something like Kelly Megan. Uh, a truly a media whore uh, with this guy coming on and with a smirk on his face. I guess if you're one of the 50th most powerful people in Washington, D.C., 
that you must have something more than pizza going on. <laughs> you know? Well, well, right. If you're a pizza parlor owner that's one of the 50 most powerful people in the nation's capital, there's probably something more. Than, right. There has to be. Well, um, I've shared a quotation. You, you mentioned earlier that uh, fake news goes back hundreds of years, and it has. Uh, from time to time, I, I like to quote uh, from the journalist John Swinton, um, which it, itself, his, his uh, famous quotation has been accused of being fake. But uh, nothing resonates more clearly than the truths that he expressed. This was at a banquet in 1880, given in his honor by leaders of his craft. Uh, someone gave him a toast to the independent press. Swinton was so outraged that he replied, quote, there is no such thing in America as an independent press, unless it is out in country towns. You are all slaves. You know it, and I know it. There is not one of you who dares to express an honest opinion. If you expressed it, you would know beforehand that it would never appear in print. I am paid $150 for keeping honest opinions out of the paper I am connected with. Others of you are paid similar salaries for doing similar things. If I should allow honest opinions to be printed in one issue of my paper, I would be like Othello before 24 hours. My occupation would be gone. The man who would be so foolish as to write honest opinions would be out in the street hunting for another job. The business of a New York journalist is to distort the truth, to lie outright, to pervert, to vilify, to fawn at the feet of mammon, and to sell his country and his race for his daily bread, or for what is about the same, his salary. You know this, and I know it, and what foolery to be toasting an independent press. We are the tools and vassals of rich men behind the scenes. We are jumping jacks. They pull the string and we dance. Our time, our talents, our lives, our possibilities are all the property of other men. We are intellectual prostitutes, end quote. How about that? 1880. Well, well, that's absolutely true. I, I mean, he was right on the money. And, and even if he didn't express that, yet, you know, that Wilhelm Marr understood that, that, that Judaism had triumphed in Europe. And, and the Jews in, Jews had written, um, an article which I quoted recently in my presentations of the Protocols of Zion. Jews had written an article which appeared in Chambers Encyclopedia not long after 1880, bragging that they controlled the media, all of the newspapers in Europe. So, <laughs> your gentleman is not off the mark at all. And it's very likely that he certainly did say something like that. And if I could fast forward to um, a week or so ago, 
on uh, MSNBC's Morning Joe, whose co-host is Mika Brzezinski, the daughter of Zbigniew Zabrinsky, who is, some people say, Rockefeller's brain, stated that President Trump could have undermined the messaging so much that he can actually control exactly what people think. And that is our job, end quote. <laughs> she, she's already denied the import of what she said, tweeting, quote, of course that is obvious from the transcript, but some people want to make up their own facts. How sad, end quote. Well, it's sad that her dim-witted host of the show, former Congressman Joe Scarsborough, concurred by saying, yeah, right after she said, that is our job in controlling what people think. Now, I've listened to about half a dozen videos of this um, short video, and, and most of them cleverly edit Joe's yeah, so it doesn't give the impression that they really did slip up and tell the truth, what some might call a Freudian slip. And you know, Bill, fake news just cannot tolerate the truth. Media horrors know quite well that mind control is their turf, and none dare call it news outside of their domain. Absolutely. They, what, what they understand that the stories that they do pay attention to and publish set public opinion. They create public opinion by choosing what goes into the news, what is news, and what's not. And not only that, but the spin that they place on news stories when they are published. And, and one example of that is, um, I, I don't have the link at hand, but one example of that can be easily searched on the internet. Donald Trump just had to basically issue some sort of executive order that the federal government was not going to get involved in bathroom policies in the various states at, as to who uses what bathroom, but that um, people should use the bathroom which accords with their gender, where Obama had a policy basically forcing the states to allow transgender people, men that claim to be women, women that claim to be men, to use bathrooms according to the gender that they felt like identifying themselves with, which is just plain evil. And it it, it takes a... It, it's sad in today's world that it takes a United States president to tell people what bathroom they should use. We, we should all simply know naturally what bathroom we should use. The um, the CNN report spun this this story, which is only common sense, and it spun it to to make Trump look like a demon that he was oppressing these. Poor transgendered people and violating their quote unquote rights and and it it's absolutely horrible the way they reported it, but the way they report the story, the people that look to the media for truth would be con- a lot of them would be convinced that c n n was what and their position would be right 
and and they know that they are actually setting public opinion by what news they publish and what news they don't. And they don't publish news that doesn't fit their agenda. And and I have an immediate example of that. Brianna Talbot. You probably never heard of Brianna Talbot. I'm sure that none of my listeners, un- unless they um, subscribe to some of the same Twitter feeds that I do, have heard of Brianna Talbot. This is an 18-year-old girl, woman, girl, and she's right there in the middle, right? This is an 18-year-old woman who was kidnapped raped repeatedly and sliced up with a knife just two days ago by three niggers who abducted her and dragged her into an SUV and took her off into the woods in a small town in Texas. And there is not one word of it in the mainstream media, in the national media. I saw reports of it on Twitter this afternoon, and it took me four or five Google searches using different search terms several at a time to find a report of it on local media websites in Texas, the Texas Herald Democrat from a small town called Sherman, Texas, and the Dallas News had published it yesterday and today. If this Brianna Talbot was a nigger shot by cops, or if this Brianna Talbot was perhaps a synagogue door spray-painted with a swastika, she would be national news and everybody in America would know her name today. But her case does not fit the Jewish paradigm for what makes news, so she will remain obscure. If these were three white men and a shibun, or, or a female African, and three white, white men had waked at a female negress, this would be huge news. We would hear her name a thousand times an hour. Even if we didn't watch television, we'd hear it. You wouldn't be able to escape it. But it's a white woman and three black males, Africans, I should call them, and, and it's not even in the news. Al Sharpton would be interviewed everywhere. Right. But who do we have to intercede for us? We That's why I'm only have our this God. campaign. We have God. And, uh, you know, part of the, we were talking about prayer earlier. And just one little uh, last thing about Mika Brzezinski. You know, our, our little church... Fellowship of God's Covenant People in Northern Kentucky. We've been praying for a long time for Babylon to just fall, collapse, get done with it. So when Mika lost control of the words coming out of her mouth, I couldn't help but think of the power of our God to control what people think because that's his job. Oh, right. He, he it, you know, she was um, compelled to state the truth, even if she's embarrassed by it later. And I can confirm that with Jeremiah 5.14. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, because ye speak this word, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire, and this people would, and it shall devour them. How about that? Well, I think that's the best thing that, kind, that has come out of the Trump candidacy and presidency yet is the fact that first it showed the leftists that they didn't necessarily control what was or what was not 
acceptable speech. But more importantly, when the left had accused Pizzagate of being fake news, Trump actually turned that that accusation right around on them and accused the mainstream media of being fake news with the foundation that the mainstream media did indeed publish many fake news articles during the Trump candidacy, during the presidential election process. So we have to take advantage of that. Some 65 reporters that were invited to an exclusive dinner at John Podesta's, many of whom colluded with conspiring against the Trump campaign and being all for Clinton. And I really and believe this is an opportunity. Names, by the way. I, I really believed, and, and I pray this is an opportunity for us to bring this into the in, into the attention of more and more of our brethren, because we have an American president telling the mainstream media that they are fake news, and he's doing it on national television. You know, there's uh, two things about Jews in power. One is paranoia and the other is arrogance. And neither one of those traits are very good for claiming to be God's chosen people and and governing. But I'd like to quote a uh, Zipporah Menashe, who is an Israeli government spokeswoman. This is what she said. Quote, you know very well and the stupid Americans know equally well that we control their government irrespective of who sits in the White House. You see, I know it, and you know it, that no American president can be in a position to challenge us even if we do the unthinkable. What can they, Americans, do to us? We control Congress we control the media, we control show business, and we control everything in America. In America, you can criticize God, but you can't criticize Israel, meaning Jews, end quote. Right, that's absolutely true. And just to show how much um, power they can wield, when was the last time we heard anything about um, George W. Bush. I mean, during eight years of beastly governance, um, there was not one word of criticism. But now, all of a sudden, he said in a rare interview with Matt Lauer on uh, the NBC's Today Show, he said that the media is indispensable to democracy. We need an independent media to hold people like me to account. Power can be very addictive and it can be corrosive. And it's important for the media to call to account people who abuse their power, whether it be here or elsewhere. End quote. Wow. And and the media has done precisely the opposite with American presidents for a long time. They they've refused to call presidents into account when those presidents are doing the bidding 
of those Wall Street bankers and those Jewish bank international bankers. The last president called into account was Richard Nixon, and because he suffered at the hands of the media, we know he was probably doing something good. We may not know what it was, but he was holding up one wicked agenda or another. Whatever it may be. I, I wrote a, um, yet you speak in your article on this imprecatory prayer against the media encouraging this, that this program. You, you spoke in your article at length about the missing people, the pedophilia in Europe, that the pedophilia here in America, that there was, um, that there have been three books on that are available from Amazon.com that do very well in the in in the sales at Amazon. All three of these books are in the top hundred thousand books in sales on Amazon. Two of them are in the top twenty thousand books in sales on Amazon. Now that is significant because Amazon lists millions of books, and those three books are Susan Ford's. 1999, Thanks for the Memories. Kathy O'Brien's 1995, Transformation of America. And John DeCamp's 1992 book, The Franklin Cover-Up, Child Abuse, Satanism, and Murder in Nebraska. And all three of these books blow the whistle on pedophile rings among the rich and famous. For instance, Susan Ford, who, who initially wrote under the alias of Bryce Taylor, she claims to have been a sex slave of Bob Hope and Henry Kissinger. Now, Henry Kissinger's still alive. The Bushes are mentioned in these books in collusion with the sex slaves and, and the sex rings. And, and I believe the Clintons are also mentioned. And many other living Wealthy and influential men are named by name in these three books. Yes. And all of these books still rank very highly on the sales list at Amazon.com. You could go to Amazon.com and buy them today. And these stories, which have never been addressed by public authorities to any great extent, which the, the... Accusations in these books have never really been brought to justice. These three books, even though they're for sale every day at Amazon, are virtually ignored by the mainstream media, which instead feeds us with distractions and fake news as its owners loot and pillage and destroy our world. If there was nothing to these stories, if these stories were slanderous if these stories were um, not true then it would be easy for these people like Henry Kissinger or or a George Bush or a a, a Bob Hope even though he's dead now to, to hire a lawyer and get this taken care of and get this stuff off the market in in a libel suit or a slander suit there must be something to these stories there has to be for these books to be sold for so long and ignored by the mainstream media, there must be something to these stories. I'm sorry. They're not sold as novels. They're sold as true stories. Right. Well, and they've even led to uh, 
prosecutions and there's people in jail. Well, well, the decamp book did. I I know that, but only at a low level, and it wasn't the people that what were the, the the higher powers, the more powerful politicians that ran cover for it, or or, or that were significantly involved. That very low level people were were were, were convicted in John DeCamp's investigations as a result. I understand that. But nobody from Kathy O'Brien's claims and nobody from Susan Ford's claims and and not the people that could have been exposed by John DeCamp by, by that case. Well, there's also uh, Ted Gunderson, who is a retired head of the Los Angeles FBI. Um, he tackled the huge pedophile ring that surfaced in um, 1982 with the uh, disappearance of a 12-year-old boy in Des Moines, Iowa, the uh, Johnny Gosh case. And I think um, Kathy O'Brien mentioned uh, him in her book. Uh, he uncovered some very grim statistics after years of investigation, which are very close to the... Um, stats that you sent me today he revealed this is really astounding you know before I, I give you the, these numbers um, we we wonder with with a preponderance of such evidence out there why why the big names aren't aren't uh, going down and it's because they have that arrogance that they can get away with anything, that they're untouchable, because not enough people believe the stuff in these books. I, I have these books, and I've loaned them to people, and, and they can't finish reading them because it's so gory and filthy. And that's what they're banking on, that they're, they're so incredible. It reads like fiction. Uh, or some um, horror novel. If we could know what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, or or in the Baal temples of ancient Lebanon, it would be so gruesome and unreal to us that we couldn't believe it. Ted Gunderson revealed that there are four to five million practicing Satanists in the United States particularly within the CIA. 83 children abducted every hour in the U.S. That boils down to 1,992 per day, 727,000 per year. Well, well hold it. That, that's really not unreal because according to, and, and when I wrote this article, Lambs to the Slaughter, in 2012, According to official FBI statistics, which are available on the FBI website, in 2010, there were 692,944 missing persons reported to law enforcement authorities. Over 50% of them were classified as white, and 51% were females, and over 74% of them were children. So that's a good... 500,000 practically missing children. Now, 61,000 were listed as endangered and 19,000 as 
involuntary. I, I, I don't remember exactly what that signified. But as of December 31st, 2010, 85,820 of those cases, which is about 15%, because a lot of missing persons reports are simply somebody who was taken by a, a, a relative or some kid that just wanted to run away from home for the night or something silly like that. But as of December 31st, 2010, 85,820 of those cases were still listed as active. And of those 85,820, 45% were children under 18. And 12% were between the ages of 18 and 20. So let's say that 57% of those cases were young people, which is probably about um, 50,000 people, which is 1,000 missing young people a week that are permanently missing. Right, and I have uh, statistics in in my sermon notes from last Sunday from the Department of Health and Human Services, and those statistics are, as you say, like runaways or domestic uh, disputes where one spouse kidnaps their children from the other or or things like that. But Ted Gunderson here is is strictly focusing on uh, Satanists. And uh, that's what what raises my eyebrow here is that he goes on to say fifty to sixty thousand sacrificed each year in satanic rituals. That's one hundred and fifty a day, and um, and the Satanism is also mentioned in uh, Kathy O'Brien and uh, John DeCamp's book, and is also tied into Comet Ping Pong and PizzaGate. Well, 100 people a day is basically in line with the FBI statistics of a thousand people, a thousand young people, children or people under, under the age of 21, a thousand young people a week missing permanently. And, and the 2009 statistics basically are, are very close to the 2010 figures. Well, uh, most people don't know that uh, uh, Congressman John DeCamp, who wrote the Franklin cover-up, was good friends of the former director of the CIA, William Colby, uh, who wrote the introduction to the Franklin cover-up and, by the way, died under very mysterious circumstances that just really didn't add up to the official uh, reason for his death. But I found uh, an account of the uh, camp of a conversation he had with Colby, and this is really interesting for our purposes. Colby said, "What you have to understand, John, is that sometimes there are forces and events too big, too powerful, with so much at stake for other people or institutions that you cannot do anything about them, no matter how evil or wrong they are." and no matter how dedicated or sincere you are or how much evidence you have. That is simply one of the hard facts of life you have to face. And the camp courageously argued back, but Bill, somebody has to do something. The problem here is that our institutions of government have been corrupted. 
If there is a cover-up, and I now absolutely believe there is, even though originally I thought this whole Franklin story had to be a fantasy, then that cover-up can only take place with the cooperation and even the active assistance of some of our key institutions of government, from the courts to the cops, from the highest politicians to the media representatives to the wealthiest business leaders of our community and country. I can't believe what you're telling me, Bill. Are you saying I should just lay it down and walk away from this? When I know kids are being abused and killed, when I know our most respected citizens and business leaders are up to their eyebrows in drug dealing and official corruption, when every bone in my body tells me that evil is triumphing and everybody who is anybody is scared beanless to do something about it for fear of one thing or another. How can any honest or intelligent person do this? If I or someone like me do not keep pursuing this, then who will? If we quit now, then when? If ever will the truth come out and something be done about this evil and this corruption, end quote. And I ask my fellow identity Christians, can we do something about this evil? And the answer is yes, because the Bible has provisions to deal with these kinds of things. Our campaign is fought and won in God's courtroom. And I... um, Absolutely. I called Pastor Everett Ramsey, who was instrumental in popularizing or making people familiar with uh, imprecatories. And because he initiated the Court of Divine Justice in uh, 1984, and he was going to the steps of county courthouses in cases which extreme injustice was being wielded by judges who really had no business deciding right or wrong. And his prayer teams of Christian men had their scriptural support and foundation, as mentioned earlier in Psalms 35 and 58 and 109, and they produced results. And several judges with hardened hearts had heart attacks. Uh, One was bucked off his horse and landed on his head. Others began to see the light and started dismissing cases. And one thing he stressed to me on the phone was his concern for the church and the myriad of pastors in Judeo-Christianity that have to come out of modern Babylon. And, uh, you know, I think the church is is too far gone for it to be rehabilitated. Um the church is really better understood through the Greek word ecclesia, which just simply means the called out ones, rather than a building or a place. And um, unfortunately, where people like John DeCamp can't do anything, we can. Because it's the people of God who need Christ to call upon him. Uh, Because we are the chosen ones, chosen for service, to help the innocent. These children who right now might be languishing in some dark room ready for their next torture session or who knows what. 
you know, our campaign could be a massive calling, which requires nothing more than collectively humbling ourselves and acknowledging nothing is impossible with God to correct his people or this mess that we've gotten ourselves into. Unfortunately, we know that many are called, but few are chosen. And so thus, uh, I think a remnant is found in Christian identity to exercise their calling to this 40-day campaign. And uh, really, if the white nationalist or alt-right wants to talk about, uh, or, or the enemies of uh, white nationalists and alt-right want to talk about uh, white privilege, <laughs> it's a privilege to be white and humbly serve in the healing of our land, which white nationalists can't do because they've this self-inflicted humanism, secular humanism upon themselves. They've left God out of the picture. <clears throat> Absolutely. Well, thank so you. I think we're coming up to the top of the hour. And uh, for people that don't really know how to pray or have the thoughts to uh, commence on a, a daily basis, I, I wrote a template prayer to help people get started. If uh, We may close the program on this. Um, Father in heaven, if we may approach thy throne and wisdom, we are grateful to have our great intercessor in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Many believe we are in the times of Jacob's trouble, and indeed we are troubled by wicked adversaries. Many of our troubles are self-inflicted, and we confess our faults for abandoning thy law. There is sin in the camp, and we are a scattered people having mixed with forbidden aliens and blending their strange gods on hallowed ground with the faith of our fathers. We should never have other gods or alien idols of the heart before or above the mighty God of Israel. Forgive us our trespasses. Say to your people, O Lord, I am your salvation. And let your people hear and obey your good news, not the fake news. Malicious witnesses have risen and are a terror to the good. They seemingly lie with impunity for our hurt. They exalt the lust of the flesh, and the shepherds are silent. The scribes actively disarm the whole armor of God, they falsely accuse us of arming ourselves with the good news as hate-filled. Lord, you know that we have been under duress for many years because your people have fallen away from your authority. A remnant of Israel begs for your restoration. Revive our race and curse those who curse us. We pray that you gather your people together to petition this court for righteousness and deliver us from the scourge of kidnappers and their defenders. Hear our prayers, O Lord. Let vengeance be yours. Amen. Praise Christ. 
Thank you for joining us, and and we will. I, I will post some of my own notes, but when when I post this podcast, I will post the appropriate links to your related article at kinsmanredeemer.com and to the Christogenia forum where we've had a, a a discussion on this topic and and on your call to imprecatory prayer against the media. I would only urge that imprecatory prayer, like all prayer should be, it should be accompanied with action. We have to do our best to inform our people that the news is fake, that the intention of the media companies is to mold them into the slaves that the powers that be want to create out of them, and and pray that Yahweh God opens their eyes to that fact that they're being manipulated by the media, they're not being informed. All the while, the real crimes, the missing children, that the Pizzagate scandal, the pedophile rings, are all being ignored by the media, because that's all part of the agenda. Thank you, Pastor Downey. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Bill. Prayer works. White power. Praise Christ.